Christmas time. Tis the season to be jolly, right? So um, hopefully y'all are having a, a good Christmas season. Um, if you're anything like our Christmas season, it's mostly just hustle, bustle, and craziness, right? Um, so this morning we're going we're gonna to just pause and uh, kind of take a moment and, and set our attention and our affections on Jesus. Amen? We've been in a series uh, just last week and this week, our Christmas series this year, uh, we've entitled Baby Mama. We're looking at some of the, the mothers and, and really the babies that were born in the Christmas season, looking at uh, John the Baptist, who was born right around the same time as Jesus, as well as Jesus himself, looking at uh, kind of how they came into uh, the earth and how they entered. But before we jump into the message this morning and really kind of get into the meat of it, I want to just... Uh, Take a moment and read a few verses, kind of get them into our hearing, kind of get them into our thinking. I'm not going to preach off of these so much as just kind of want to open with them so that we're kind of all familiar with them a little bit. I, I need to kind of make sure we have a, an understanding together of a few things here. So the first one is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, it says this, it says, and I will, this is God speaking to the uh, the. The serpent in the garden, which is Satan, it's, uh, it's, it's Lucifer, it's devil, and God is speaking to him, and he says this, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And then we have Isaiah 7, verse 14, this is God prophesying to Isaiah about the coming of Jesus. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. And then if you would, if you'd go in your Bibles or on your uh, phones, would you go to to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to pick up this passage in verse 3. Galatians 4, verse 3. It says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Catch this, please. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the word this morning in the message. Holy Spirit, we thank you. God, I thank you for this amazing season of Christmas. God, as, as crazy as it can be, as hectic as it can be, as... I'm being completely honest, Lord, as nerve-wracking as it can sometimes be. Lord, I thank you that we've chosen to set aside a season to remember and to celebrate your birth and your coming. God, we, we, we don't want to get hung up, Lord, in the, the, the weeds of, of the chaos and the, the distractions of what the world has tried to make this season. God, let us be free of the elementary principles, as your word says, of this world. God, let us set our attention and God, even our affection upon you in this moment, in this, 
And this season, let us direct our attention, let us direct our affection toward you, toward what you came for, toward the, the reasons and the, your heart in coming. God, let us hear your word today. Let us believe your word today. Let us be obedient to your word today and be changed by your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's jump, uh, jump in here real fast. I, I want us to understand that before we get to Luke, we're going to go to Luke. We're going to kind of take a look at Mary and take a look at, at her life a little bit. We're going to look at, we're going to go back and visit Zach and Liz a little bit and see kind of where, they, where they've come. But, but I want to I make sure before we even get there that we get a big picture here for a moment. It's, it's vitally important to me that we understand something. And that is this, that, that God is the author of redemption. Let's say that again because that's a good place for Christians to get excited. God is the author of redemption. There we go. Thank you. That was good, even though it was fake. Um, we need to understand that, that ultimately in the beginning, right, we read in Genesis here, we, we read God's response to the fall of man, but we need to understand something before we even get to the fall of man. God created everything. We, we believe this. We know this to be true, that God created everything. He created the earth. He created the sky and the water and the land, and he said it's good. He created all living things, both on land, sea, and air, and he said they're good. He created all the vegetation and all, of, all that we see with our eyes, and he said it is good. He created man and woman, and he said we're, they're good. He placed us as humanity, our, 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 our very first Parents, Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden, come on, that was good. And he set in the midst of that garden a tree. A tree was the knowledge of good and evil. What that tree is, is it's, it, was a, it was a tree placed there and God said, don't eat of this. The point is this, this tree would give the knowledge, the, the personal, individualistic knowledge of what is right and wrong. And God said, listen, I'll tell you what's right and wrong. You trust me, don't trust yourself. And through the deception of Satan, we fell. Man and woman disobeyed God. And we have continued in the way of our first parents, Adam and Eve, for the rest of time. And because of that, sin, death, and separation have entered the world. This is, the, this is the understanding we have from Genesis, that because of our sin, we have fallen. We all sin. We, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that sinned, and now we're all great people, but rather the Bible says because of their sin, at the very core of who we are, our hearts are utter and totally bent against what it is that God would have for us. The Bible calls this sin. It says everyone has sinned, everyone has fallen short. Even your amazing great-grandma who you think is perfect, she sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. We sin, the Bible says, by omission and commission. That means we don't do the good that we know we should do, and we, we do the bad that we know we shouldn't do. And yet we see, even at the beginning, even in Genesis when we fell, when God responds to that, even in that moment, he speaks of redemption. He makes a prophetic declaration about the seed of the woman. This is a, if you really read that there, if you really heard that, you understand that that's weird. Women, physically speaking, don't have seed. This was a prophetic declaration of the virgin birth, which we see clearly prophesied in Isaiah, that a virgin, one who, who has not had sex with a man, who shouldn't be able to conceive, will conceive. 
and bring forth the Savior. What I need you to understand is God is the author of redemption. Amen? And what I need you to understand is this, that Christmas is a story of redemption. Christmas is not a story about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Yes, I understand that that is part of the message. But the message is a message of redemption. The message is a message of a Savior coming to earth. It's a message of of God invading a mess he didn't make and is not responsible for, but said, I will bear the responsibility of and reconcile man to myself. It's a story of redemption. The amazing thing to me, and it's why I wanted to read this passage in Galatians, we we can understand, I'm not going to really unpack this as much as I wish I could, But we need to understand that God made a plan, God picked the time, and God kept his promise. That's what Galatians says. We were enslaved, we were far away, we'd done everything to disqualify ourselves, we'd done everything to separate ourselves, we've done everything to tell God, I do not want you in my life. And yet, come on somebody, God decided to step in. He made a plan, he picked the time, he stepped in, and through that we have been reconciled back to God through Christ. Redemption is possible because of what Jesus has done. Need us to get that, need us to understand that, need us to bury that at the foundation of who we are. But as I look through this story of how God brought about redemption, how God entered into human history, I find it intriguing that he chose to enter in to the, to the story of mankind, to the history of mankind, and in, in the Christmas story that he chose to enter in through completely and utterly, seemingly normal means. What I mean by that is this. Jesus didn't just come and, like, materialize on the earth. <laughs> he didn't just come and, like, poof, there he was, like, whoa. Which, if you think about it, would kind of have worked better. Right? Like, if, if we're trying to convince people that he's God, if he just, like, poof, showed up, that'd be like, whoa. But it said that people, even, we even read it in the Gospels, right? Like, people disqualified him as being Messiah because they're like, dude, he was, his dad's like a construction worker. <laughs> and his mom got checked up before they got married. I mean, he, you know, his dad, <laughs> you know, is a construction worker. They disqualified him. But yet he came, the Bible, the Galatians here says he, he was born of a woman, born under the law. Like he, he couldn't have had, from the outside looking in, he could not have had more of a boring story. But yet that is how God chose to come into the earth. And what I find fascinating about that isn't just that it was boring, but that it involved human response. That intrigues me because I understand that the story's his, right? He wrote the story. He made the plan. He fulfilled the plan. And yet in his sovereignty, there is this place that he has made for man. He, he chose to be born through a woman. He chose to be born through her. He chose to, to come to, through her. He, he, he chose that, the, that someone would prepare the way for his ministry. And he chose that that person would be born from a woman. This is fascinating to me, and this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the the reality that God has chosen to invite us into not only being redeemed, but being a part of the story of the redemption of mankind. 
and I'm just going to be on. I'm going I'm I'm to lay all my cards out on the table right now. I am going to call you to respond to God's invitation in redemption. I'm not going to make any excuses for it. I'm not going to beat around the bush with it. I believe we need to respond. You say, well, it's God's story and God's going to do it and God's, God's in control and God set the time and God fulfills it. Yes, and somehow in the mystery of his sovereignty, there is a spot and there is a place where he has chosen to call you to respond to his calling on you. Listen to me. He's going, we're going to see this really clear. He's going to do what he's going to do. But there is a response that is biblical. Amen? And we're going to see that response. Now, I need you to get this, though, because I just am plagued by making sure we understand something quite simple. I'm calling you to respond not primarily for your good, but rather for God's glory. Now, I understand, and, and my, my understanding of the scriptures and my understanding of, of even the Christmas story is that in your responding to God's call toward your response and call for your response, I believe that's the best life you can live on this planet. But I'm not calling you to respond so you can have a good life. I'm calling you to respond because God is worthy of your response. And he is glorified through your response. Yes, I believe the best thing you could do and your, your experience this side of eternity is best when you obey God. But I would warn you as a, a preacher, as, as your pastor, that anyone who tries to get you to respond to God in some way of promising you that everything will be great and everything will be wonderful and everything will be awesome if you respond is selling something. That is not found in the scriptures. What we saw when we looked at Luke last week was, was we saw a couple. We saw Zachariah and Elizabeth. We, for the sake of our conversation, Zach and Liz, because it's just easier. Zach and Liz were, were good Christian kids. If we modernize the vocabulary here a little bit, if you'll give me that room. They were good Christian kids who lived good Christian lives. They were pastor's kids and pastors themselves. Again, modernizing the context here a little bit for the sake of understanding. They were good kids who lived good lives in a good city with, with you know, all the right priorities. And yet they suffered great and consistent shame and pain because they were barren. What we saw last week was, was God stepping into that story. God stepping into this, this, this place of their brokenness. My point is this. Your responding to the gospel does not guarantee you a life free of pain and hardship. What I can tell you is this. That God purposed your pain and hardship for your good and for his glory. I don't understand all that. So don't ask me to explain why somehow pain can be glorifying to God. I don't know how he works all of that. I just know that he does. And I know that somehow believing that bad things just happen doesn't bring me any peace. But understanding that God is in control does. So what I want us to do is I want us to understand the reality of the gospel. I said I'm going to call you to respond. Here's what I'm going to call you to respond to, the gospel. The gospel is simple. 
yet powerful. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for sin. Then he rose again three days later, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that for all who repent and believe, there is now no condemnation, but only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. That's what I'm going to call you to respond to. How am I going to call you to respond? I'm going to call you to respond through repentance and belief. Repent simply means to confess that you're wrong and God is right, to be filled with contrition, brokenness over your sin, and cry out to God for change and transformation in your areas of sin that you might live your life for his glory from henceforth. Amen? That's the gospel. We're called to to confess. We're called to repent, confess, contrition, and change. We're called to believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31, Peter is preaching the gospel. He preaches that message to some people who've never heard it before, and they said, okay, what do we do? And, and, And he calls them, and he says, believe upon the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, that word believe does not simply mean a mental ascension and alignment with the existence of someone who used to live. Look, I believe that Abraham Lincoln used to live, but it ain't going to do anything for me in eternity. Hello, somebody. This Greek word belief, believe literally means to, put, to invest in, to trust in, to place all of your hopes and all of your trust in him. Amen? So when I tell you to repent and believe, that's what I mean. So let's jump in now, though, to this story so we can see what that kind of looks like. What does re- response look like? Can we look at response? Can we do that this morning? Cool. I'm going to do it anyways. Um, Luke, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, 18 through 20 is what we're going to look at here first. Last week we looked at 15 through 25, kind of the story of how Zechariah found out that they were going to have a baby. And uh, last week, last week Zechariah came out looking pretty good. This week we're going we're gonna to look at the part that we skipped over and see his response to this great news. So Zechariah is, he's at the temple, he's, he's doing his job of of, of being a priest, and, and an angel shows up, tells him that your barren wife is going to have a son, that you guys together are going to have a son. This is good news, right? This is, this is what they've been hoping for and believing for and praying for, and that we even saw last week, this was what he was praying for. Let's see his response. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. Translation, nothing works. All the junior hires are out of the room. It's okay. You're like, nope, can't wait. Y'all get that that's why they mention it, right? Like there wasn't the things that are available now to solve that problem, okay? That's part of the issue here. Sure, she does her, she can't have babies and you can't do what it caught to make the baby. So he's going like, I don't, this doesn't work. This doesn't make any sense to me. This is not going to happen. How shall I know this? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
Zechariah chose unbelief. The way that he responds is a little bit vague in English, but when you look at it in the original language in, in which the New Testament was written and in Greek, it is crystal clear that what he is saying is, that is never going to happen. And I love Gabriel's response. We have, we have some descriptions of angels in the Bible. Now, I don't want us to, as a church, become one of those churches that gets, like, obsessed with angels, okay? Let's make sure that's not a ditch we fall in. But let's just stop for a second and look at this. Like, from everything we've seen, angels are gigantic. They're big dudes. They have, we, we see angels, right, like the cheesy ones that maybe your grandma collected, the figurines, if your grandma's like my grandma, the figurines of angels. They're, like, pretty, and they have wings, and they're always pink. But what we see of angels in, in the scriptures is that these are big and scary. The reason I say they're scary is because every time one shows up in the Bible and sees somebody, every time somebody has an encounter with one, that they have to go like, dude, don't freak out. Calm down. Slow your roll. Like, just chill. There's actually some evidence in Hebrew, this is just for fun, that at the sight of angels, some people lose control of their bowels. That's an angel, okay? The Bible says they have six wings, three sets of wings. They have some that they cover their face with, some they fly with, and some that they they cover their feet with. These are big, weird-looking, scary dudes. And this guy appears miraculously out of nowhere in front of Zechariah and says, God sent me here, you're going to have a baby. That's the prayer you've been praying for. God heard your prayer, and he's going to give you a child. And Zechariah's like, dude, that's never going to happen. And Gabriel's response is like, look at me. You think I just was driving by and came in? You think I'm just like hanging out here in the temple and like thought I, no, I stand before God and I came here and delivered a message to you from God. Look at my wings. call you to respond. The reality and the truth is this. You are responding. Whether through belief or unbelief, you're going to respond. The message of good news, and I'm aware here that he did not preach the gospel to him, but let's make some application here if I'm allowed to do that, that the good news came to him of the redemptive story, and, and, and Zach decided to say, I don't think so. Can't happen. Maybe you're like this. You hear the message I just shared with you that, that, that Jesus has died, that he has, he has risen again, that he is triumphant, and that in him you can be forgiven of your sin and you can be filled with joy. And your response very well could be that can never happen. I remember just being transparent here, I, I, one of the first times I individually shared the gospel with somebody, because I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I struggle with that side of sharing the gospel. If I'm just going to be, be transparent here, it's, it can be difficult, especially when you have a relationship with somebody, to, to just share the gospel with them, because it's kind of like saying, you suck, <laughs> but Jesus doesn't, so you should let Jesus let, make you not suck. Anybody else ever feel like that's what you're doing when you're sharing the gospel with somebody? 
I got all kinds of boldness when I'm up in front of people, and I know there's people probably packing in here, so I'm good, they love me, and, and so I'm good with sharing the gospel here, but I remember one of the first times that I had to share the gospel with somebody, that the Lord put them in my path, there was no way around it, I got to share the gospel with this guy. And I'm going to be honest with you, he was older than me, he was smarter than me, and he was more financially well off than me, so already I'm like at a disadvantage in this situation. And I, I remember sharing the gospel, it was Peter. And I was sharing the gospel with him. And I, I knew Peter. He was a friend of my dad's. I didn't really know a lot about his life story, but we had a relationship. And, and we knew each other. And, and, and uh, I shared the gospel with him. And I remember telling him that in Christ, all of the, the horrible things that you've done that keep you up at night, those things that, that, make you, that make you unable to sleep because of the severity of the sin, those things that you know that hurt other people and that broke God's heart, those things God can remove from you. He can forgive you of those and make it as if it never happened. And he looked at me and he says, that is impossible, you have no idea the severity of the things that I've done. Can I tell you, he responded. Now, he responded in unbelief. Now, maybe that's you. You say, look, <laughs> that's a cool story, Pastor. That's not going to happen for me. Listen to me. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. Your sin, that, now I'm not talking about the like when you ran the red light. I'm talking about that thing that keeps you up. And that thing that you, you, you know that if somebody found out about, everything in your life would fall apart. You'd lose it all. That thing, the grace of God is greater than that thing. Now, I'm not saying there aren't going to be circum or there are not going to be consequences for your actions, but what I'm saying is eternally before God, you stand justified. That word means just as if I'd never sinned. The word sozo, the name of our church, is the word for saved. In Acts, what I talked about, when I talked about Acts chapter 16, 30 and 31, when I said that the, that Peter told them, believe upon the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That word is sozo. It means that, that you, if there was a way to go back in time and not just, not just declare you innocent, but go back in time and make you innocent, that's what Jesus' grace does. I don't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. Can I get an amen from some people who've been redeemed? Maybe you go, no, that's cool. I believe that he can forgive me. I'm just not done having fun. I'm be real. That was my heart. Now, I had days when I was like, dude, even if I wanted to come to Jesus, there was no way. Because I did horrible things. I, I hurt people. I wrecked people's lives. I was a miserable, disgusting wretch of a sinner. I'm going to just be real. I got redeemed. I got saved, as you might say. I, I experienced the redemptive work of Christ in my heart and life. I was brought to life in Jesus and the path that I instantaneously was on was the one that got me here. Okay, because I don't know how to do stuff halfway. So imagine what I was like as a sinner. Okay, I didn't do anything halfway. It was, I was all in. And for me, my issue was I got time later. Though I'll, I'll, I'll do this Jesus thing maybe Later. Well, to those who don't believe God's grace is sufficient for your sin, I would correct you on that. And, and I, I have to tell you the truth. For those of you who think that tomorrow is coming, I have to correct you as well. You're not guaranteed your next breath, let alone tomorrow. 
let alone five years from now, six years from now, ten years from now, when you're done sowing your wild oats. The Bible says quite clearly today is the day of salvation. You can only get saved today. I know it might sound a little weird and a little blunt, but it's what the Bible teaches. This rests heavy on my heart because I, my wife and I, most of you know, were youth pastors for, for years. And I'll never forget, you know, we were youth pastors, so that means our, our youth services were on Wednesday nights. And I'll never forget the Thursday morning, drive, I drove into the office and got to the office and our receptionist was in tears. Which, if I'm being honest, wasn't that rare. <laughs> Everyone who knows her is laughing, I'm sorry. Um. But something was different, and I went in and, and saw her, who will remain nameless, and uh, I went in and, and she shared with me the reality of what had happened the night before. Six kids got into a van and drove home from our youth service and were hit by a truck. Some of them walked away with some scratches, some of them passed away instantly, and one of them ended up being in a coma for about nine months and eventually going to be with Jesus as well. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have framework for that. I mean, literally, I just high-fived him on the way out of the church less than 10 hours earlier. And I knew I needed to get to the hospital, and I knew I needed to go visit them. But I knew I needed to find Jesus first. So I went in my office and for about three hours just bawled my eyes out. And the only peace that I was able to find was found in two things. First off was knowing that God was in control, that this didn't happen because he was playing golf. And secondly, that the gospel had been preached to those young people the night before and that God was good. Listen to me, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed you're going to get home today is the day of salvation. Why am I calling you to respond today? Because today, come on, is the day of salvation. You can respond in unbelief. What's the result of that? We see it here from Zechariah. I love the way this plays out. He was silenced. Listen to me. God is inviting you to be a part of his redemptive story in history. If you respond in unbelief, your voice is silent. You have no voice. Your life equals nothing. The only value that any of our lives have is in our obedient response to God's invitation to enter into his plan of redemption. That's the value that your life has. So now let's, real fast, at the end here, let's, let's, let's see what a positive response is. Can we do that? Can we shift this here and go there? A Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to see Mary. Now, now let's, let's check this out. Luke 1. 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same guy, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, pause there real fast, just because there's a lot of stuff here that's a little confusing, so let's make sure we understand this. Mary lives in a city. She's got a fiancé. Her and her fiancé are doing it right. They, they haven't slept together. They, the, the Bible teaches that that's something that's set aside for marriage. They're living right. They're, they're engaged, but they're living properly. And, and she's, she's there, and, and the angel comes to her, and her name is Mary. Now, let's pause at that for a moment. So we understand kind of the construct here that we got an engaged couple. 
We have this woman named Mary. Now, I have to stop here because there's so much baggage that comes for some of us who were kind of raised in the church. I need to make sure that we get this here. Mary is a person. I wish that's all I had to say. That, that, that we do not, as Protestants, as Christians who are not in the vein of Catholicism, we do not teach that Mary was somehow special or great or grand. She was a woman chosen by God to bear Jesus into the earth. We're going to see that here clearly as we move on. So Mary, Joseph, engaged, hanging out. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Probably she got the, whoa, weird dude. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. There it is again. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Catch this, come on. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, uh, How will this be? I'm a virgin. <laughs> I think you got the wrong Mary. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has already conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Catch this please, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said, Behold, catch this. What's her response? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So in Zechariah, we have, we have a, a, a response of unbelief. I need us to understand the message that came to Mary. The message, first off, was a message of favor and grace. The gospel message is a message of favor and grace. The gospel message is one that says that in Christ there is sufficient grace for your sin. Mary was not special. Mary did not earn this. See, we want to believe that like Mary, because of her goodness, is why God chose her. The reality is the Bible teaches very clearly that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means Mary was a sinner just like you're a sinner and just like I'm a sinner. The message is a message of grace. You say, well, that's great, it's wonderful, but how, how is this going to happen? I, I, I love the parallel here between Zachariah's questioning and Mary's. Zachariah's was, this can't happen. Mary's was, how was that going to happen? Do you hear the difference? Zachariah's was, that can't happen, it's not going to happen. Mary's was like, dude, that's going to happen, but I'm a little confused as to how. You might be asking the same questions, like, okay, I, I got to well, repent and believe. I, I get it, but how in the world is that going to happen for me? 
How in the world is redemption going to come to me? The whole, it's going to happen to you just like it happened to Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to awaken and quicken your dead heart, your hard heart. The Bible says that he's going to take the heart of stone that is within you. He's going to rip it out of your chest and put inside your chest a heart of flesh. He's going to give life to the dead places in your life. Come on, somebody. That's the reality of the gospel's message. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's impossible with man. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good. Listen, you can't do enough good to overcome the sin that you've already committed. That's like somebody, that's like somebody committing murder and then being like, well, if I just help 47 old ladies across the street, then I'm off the hook, right? There is no making up for the sin that you've already committed. It will not happen. It cannot happen. But the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He imparts to you life. Come on, somebody. He brings to you Jesus. Do you realize that the job of the Holy Spirit is to lead you to Jesus? To impart to you Jesus. So if Zachariah's response caused him to be silenced, if unbelief causes our lives to be silenced, can we look at very quickly what does a proper response lead to? So what is the proper response? Mary's proper response, thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, Mary's proper response was one of submission. She went, okay, I don't get it, but okay. Let it be done to me as you've said. uh, To paraphrase it, to parallel it to us is to say, okay, I don't get how the gospel is going to work, but I accept it. I'll submit to it. I repent and believe. So what does that produce in our life? Let's look at the other two people that responded properly in the story. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to get us there. So let's back up in uh, Elizabeth. Let's see Elizabeth's response. Chapter 1, verse 24. Zechariah comes home. Silent, mute. Verse 24, I think that probably just caused her wife, his wife great joy. Um, sorry. Verse 34. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, catch this please, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, catch this, and to take away my reproach among the people. What's the result of a proper response? The result of a proper response is intimacy with the Lord. Your relationship with God, I said that in the fall, in in sin, we death and corruption come into the earth. But the other thing that happens is a separation from God. You are restored back to God. One of of my biggest prayers as a pastor and as a communicator of the Bible is to try to get this back into the church. The point of the gospel is that you get to be claimed by God. The promise that God made to Abraham, we were talking about he was blessing going in the city, blessed coming out, and he was going to be multiplied and have children as big as a star. The promise that God made to Abraham was, I'm going to be your God. Everybody else has gods, you get to have me. That's why I say my primary hope in your response to the gospel is not for your good, it's for God's glory. He gets to be your God. If that is not enough for you, I love you, but I got nothing else for you. She, 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 she responds properly, and her instantaneous response is to pull away and to be intimate with God. Because her reproach was removed. 
that, that thing that keeps you up at night I talked about earlier, it's gone. I, because of my sin, because of the state that I was in prior to my experience of God's conversion, I could not sleep. I've shared details of the story uh, other times, and I'm sure I'll do it again, but I, I literally couldn't sleep. I had to medicate myself to get myself to go to sleep at night. And I'll never forget, after the moment where God overcame me, where his goodness triumphed over my ability to run away from him, I asked my mom years ago if, if my recollection of this story was the same as hers. And she said, yeah, I wondered actually what happened. Because I went home the next day and I slept for two days straight. She said she actually worried about me. But she just assumed because of the life I was living that something bad had happened. There is rest and peace that comes with your response to the gospel. But there's one other thing. So we, we, we have intimacy we have a removal of shame and peace. But one more thing that is so good, I have to get here. I have to show you. Because there's one other person that responds to Jesus properly in this story. So Elizabeth, Zachariah, Mary. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, in those days Mary arose and went, to, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zachariah and greeted Elizabeth. So we've got all of our players. And was, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, catch this please, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. If you have a problem with how loud our worship is, it's in the Bible. Um, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt, come on somebody, with joy. Intimacy with God, removal of shame, and joy is the byproduct of a proper response to the gospel. I said it in the beginning. I said it quite clearly. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for your sin and rose again eternal, three days later eternally triumphant over all of his enemies so that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who repent and believe but only, come on, everlasting joy. And this is where I, I turn a little bit and tell you this. Primarily, I call you to respond for God's glory but I know from the scriptures that God's glory and your joy are not mutually exclusive, but rather have a very intimate relationship. When God is glorified, we are filled with joy. I, I am indebted eternally to a man named John Piper for his simple understanding of this simple phrase, that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. I call you to respond today. How do I call you to respond? I've said it, I'll say it again. Repent and believe. Now you say, that's great, but I, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm kind of already into that. Martin Luther said it great. The entirety of a Christian's life is one of repentance. If you enter into relationship with God and you become a Christian through repentance, you grow as a Christian, how? <laughs> through repentance. We advance the kingdom by calling people to repentance. 
If you're here and it's the first time for you, that's amazing and that's incredible and we celebrate it. And if you're here and today is the untold number time that you've had to repent, we celebrate and rejoice in that as well. Because growth comes through repentance. This morning I would call you to repent. Confess with your mouth that you've sinned. That the way you've lived your life is not right. To ask God to break your heart over those sins. Listen, we live in a world so corrupt that we don't even realize how corrupt we are. And then begin to ask God to change your heart. Listen, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about genuine transformation where you leave this place different than when you came in. Not just acting different, but being different. And believe on the Lord. Put all your faith, all your trust in Him. Understanding that He's God and you're not. Quit eating from a tree that says, I can pick what I think is right. And instead trust Jesus to lead, guide, and direct your life. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to respond as we do each and every week. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to enter back into worship. This isn't just a closing song. This is our response. This is our chance to respond to Jesus for the message that he's brought us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up to the platform. We also respond each and every week through communion. We've chosen as a community to participate and receive communion. Let me explain this real fast. We take through a method known as antiquation where we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. We also, for the first time and hopefully from moving on forward from here, we have, uh, I just have to giggle at this, we have a gluten-free option for you. Um, we had some people bring it up, so wheat hurts your belly. We got it for you. Um, but we take by antiquation, taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup. This table's open to anyone who's experienced redemption. If you've repented, can believe. If you've repented of your sin and believe upon the Lord, this table's open to you. Whether you're doing that for the first time today or whether you, you, you've, you've done that years ago, this table's open to you. If you have not done that and you are not responding in that way today, we would ask that you would abstain from this as this is something given to believers. If you're here, I would call you to respond. I'm not going to give you words to say or, or, or have you recite some prayer after me or, or ask you to come up to the front and blow snot all over the black carpet so that you can show that you're really, really sorry. But rather, I would call you to cry out to the Lord to repent, again, confess, and trust in the Lord. And if you're here, I want to speak to believers for just a moment. God invites us into his story of redemption as well. God invites you into the story of redemption, of being a part of his redeeming humanity. And I want to invite you this morning to be a part of that story. To be engaged in that story. And to see God move in and through your life. And if you've been unwilling to do that, I would call you to repent. For God has invested in you redemption, not just for yourself, but for others. Let me pray, and let's worship the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your living and active word. We thank you that you have been so faithful to speak to us, and I, I pray for those who are here who need to respond to your goodness and your grace. God, that they would no longer try to run from you, that they would no longer try to hide from you, but that God, they would come to you 
God, that they would bow their knee. God, they would confess. They would be broken over their sin. And that brokenness and that, that confession would lead to you, Holy Spirit, flooding into their hearts and changing who they are. For your glory and for their joy.